Ukraine maintains that its war plans are secret. Eric Schmidt David Pearson Carly Olson Edward Wong Anushka Pottle Stephen Erlanger Neil MacFarquhar A day after the Pentagon said it was investigating a leak of documents detailing U.S. and NATO plans for backing a possible Ukrainian counteroffensive against Russia, there was no official response on Friday from the Ukrainian government, whose military officials have said that their own battle plans are a closely held secret. Speaking on Thursday, before, the New York Times reported that classified American and NATO documents had been posted this week on social media, the head of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council said that only a handful of people know when or where any counteroffensive would take place. When this or that military action, this or that military operation begins, as of today I can tell you with confidence that this is information for a very limited circle of people, the official, Alexei Danilov, said in an interview with Radio Liberty. When it begins, you will see it all, he said, adding that this question is completely closed for today. It was not clear whether Mr. Danilov was responding to the leak of the American and NATO documents, which appeared on Twitter and on the Telegram messaging app. But his remarks were in keeping with Ukraine's practice of disclosing little information about its military plans and using public statements to try to keep Russian forces off balance. It was not clear how or whether the document leak might affect Ukraine's plans to begin a counteroffensive to take back territory lost to Russia, an operation that American officials have said could begin in the next month or so. The documents do not provide specific battle plans, and because they are five weeks old, they offer only a snapshot of time, the American and Ukrainian view, as of March 1, of what Ukrainian troops might need for the campaign. Military analysts said the documents appeared to have been modified in certain parts from their original format, overstating American estimates of Ukrainian war dead and understating estimates of Russian troops killed. The modifications could point to an effort of disinformation by Moscow, the analyst said. Still, the disclosures in the leaked documents, which appear as photographs of charts of anticipated weapons deliveries, troop and battalion strengths, and other plans, represent a significant breach of American intelligence in the effort to aid Ukraine. Biden administration officials were working to get them deleted but had not succeeded as of Thursday evening. The documents mention, for instance, the expenditure rate of HIMARS, American-supplied high-mobility artillery rocket systems that can launch attacks against targets like ammunition dumps, infrastructure and concentrations of troops from a distance. The Pentagon has not said publicly how quickly Ukrainian troops are using the HIMARS munitions, the documents do. The United States and allies in Europe have provided tanks, rockets, ammunition and training to Ukraine's armed forces in recent months, one more than a dozen European Union member states have vowed to supply Ukraine with at least one million artillery shells over the next year. Military experts say Ukraine will use the combined aid in the coming battles. Reports of a troop buildup by both armies east of the Dnipro River in the Zaporizhia region of southern Ukraine suggests that Ukraine may be preparing to attack there. At the same time, months of fierce fighting in two regions of eastern Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk, may indicate another possible direction of attack. Since 2014, Moscow has controlled the Ukrainian region of Crimea as well as territory in Donetsk and Luhansk. After launching its full-scale invasion in February last year, it grabbed further territory in southern and eastern Ukraine. The government in Kiev says its objective is to win back all of its lost land. 
President Emmanuel Macron of France and Xi Jinping, China's top leader, will resume their three-day summit on Friday in the southern Chinese manufacturing hub of Guangzhou, shifting attention to the country's economic ties a day after the French leader called on Beijing to do more to help bring an end to Russia's war in Ukraine. Mr. Macron, who is traveling with about 50 French business leaders, is scheduled to speak to hundreds of students at Sun Yat-sen University. He will then have an early dinner with Mr. Xi, following up on their Thursday talks in Beijing, before meeting with Chinese investors at a college of art. It is rare for Mr. Xi to meet with foreign leaders outside the capital, underscoring the importance of Mr. Macron's visit as China's relations with the United States worsen. Those tensions were intensified this week when Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, met with the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, in California. Xi's travel to Guangzhou to meet Macron again suggests that China is strongly interested in developing stable and cooperative relations with France, said Li Mingjiang, an associate professor of international relations at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies in Singapore. Beijing hopes that Macron may be able to play a role in stabilizing EU-China relations as well, Mr. Li added. This is a very important diplomatic goal for China in the context of worsening relations with the United States and Washington's efforts in rallying its allies and partners against China. But China's charm offensive has limits. Mr. Xi gave no indication on Thursday that he was willing to answer Mr. Macron's call to bring Russia back to reason and everyone back to the negotiating table on Ukraine. Instead, Mr. Xi said he was ready to issue a joint call with Mr. Macron for a political settlement in Ukraine that accommodated the legitimate security concerns of all parties, language that echoes Beijing's and Moscow's assertion that the expansion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization into Eastern Europe caused the war. Mr. Xi also said he was willing to speak with President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine when conditions and time are right, according to Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, who accompanied Mr. Macron to Beijing. Ms. von der Leyen, who ended her visit on Thursday, received a cooler reception than Mr. Macron because of her more hawkish views on China, highlighted in a speech she gave last week, warning that Beijing was trying to build an alternative world order that would put security ahead of human rights. In an apparent rebuke, Mr. Xi told Ms. von der Leyen that the European Union should avoid misunderstanding and misjudgment, according to a readout of the two leaders' meeting. China is hoping to drive a wedge between Europe and the United States by courting European leaders like Mr. Macron, who favor greater autonomy from American foreign policy. Beijing's fear is that Europe could put trade and investment restrictions on China like those imposed by the United States, which is far more suspicious of Beijing's intentions. To avert that scenario, China is looking to exploit splits within Europe over how to deal with Beijing, focusing its attention on countries like France and Germany, which have strong business lobbies that want more access to the Chinese market. Mr. Xi, in a speech at the China-France Business Council on Thursday, urged French companies to increase their presence in his country and warned against decoupling, as Washington calls its policy of unwinding supply chains from China to mitigate perceived security risks. The State of the War China under the spotlight Beijing's role in pressing Russia to end the war in Ukraine was expected to be a main topic of discussion during a three-day trip to China by Emmanuel Macron, the President of France, and Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission. Zelensky in Poland
On his first official visit to Poland, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine won strong backing from Polish leaders for his country's rapid entry into NATO and signed a deal paving the way for the joint production of arms and ammunition. Finland's Entry to NATO The Nordic country officially became the military alliance's 31st member in what amounts to a strategic defeat for President Vladimir Putin of Russia. Drone Warfare Using aerial drones to spot the enemy and direct artillery fire has become a staple of war for Ukraine and Russia, especially in the fiercely contested city of Bakhmut. Prompted by Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Ireland's government will re-examine its long-standing policy of military neutrality at a forum being held this summer, the country's government said this week. Ireland's Foreign and Defence Minister, Michael Martin, said the government was convening a consultative forum with various stakeholders from the security, foreign policy and defence sectors, as well as political leaders, academics and members of the general public, to discuss whether the country should continue to stay out of foreign conflicts like the war that has devastated Ukraine. The international security environment has changed significantly over the last year because of blatant and brutal disregard by Russia of international law and Europe's collective security architecture, Mr. Martin said in a statement on Wednesday. He added, Ireland's commitment to a rules-based international order with the UN Charter at its heart and our traditional policy of military neutrality do not inure us from the need to respond to this new reality. A chairwoman not affiliated with the Irish government will direct the discussions. The forum will take place over four days at three locations in Cork, Galway and Dublin. Ireland has given non-lethal military assistance to Ukraine, including body armour and medical supplies. The war in Ukraine has pushed some European countries to reconsider their military non-alignment. Finland won approval last week to join NATO after decades of non-alignment. The Nordic nation, which shares an 830-mile border with Russia, applied to join the alliance last year after the Russian invasion. Sweden, too, is attempting to join NATO, but its membership application remains in limbo after being blocked by Turkey and Hungary. The war has even tested Switzerland's centuries-old neutrality. Switzerland's arms industry makes much-needed ammunition for some of the weapons that European allies have provided Ukraine, like Leopard 2 battle tanks, but a law bans the country from sending weaponry to a party in conflict. The law has become subject to a heated debate, with Swiss arms makers struggling to hold on to big customers. Ireland, which once provided soldiers to the British Empire, has long cherished its neutrality as part of its modern identity as an independent state. But the horrors wrought by Russia in its invasion of Ukraine over the past year have caused some soul-searching in the country about how to respond. We need to have a serious and an honest conversation about the international security policy options available to the state and the implications of each of these, as well as examining ways in which we can work with and learn from other European and international partners, Mr. Martin said. Washington, the U.S. ambassador in Moscow met on Thursday with a Russian deputy foreign minister to discuss the detention by Russia of Evan Gershkovich, a reporter for The Wall Street Journal who was reporting in the Ural region of the country when he was taken captive by the authorities, a State Department official said. Lynn M. Tracy, the ambassador, spoke with Sergei A. Ryabkov, the deputy foreign minister.
U.S. officials have not been granted consular access to Mr. Gershkovich in the past week, the State Department official said. Consular officers are working through diplomatic channels to get access, the official said. John Kirby, a White House spokesman, said at a news conference on Thursday that it was inexcusable that Russia has not provided consular access. Mr. Gershkovich, 31, is being held at Lefertovo Prison in Moscow. He was detained last Thursday by officials in the city of Ekaterinburg and then brought to Moscow to be put under formal arrest that same day. Russian officials have accused Mr. Gershkovich of espionage even though he was simply reporting, the Wall Street Journal has said. Mr. Kirby has described the accusations as nonsense. The Russian foreign ministry said in a statement that during the meeting Mr. Ryabkov had stressed the serious nature of the charges to the American. The statement repeated the accusation that Mr. Gershkovich was guilty of espionage without providing evidence. The ministry also said the hype about the case in the United States was intended to influence the court, a plan that it called hopeless and senseless. A Moscow court said on Monday that it had received an appeal from Mr. Gershkovich's lawyers challenging his arrest and that a hearing had been scheduled on April 18, Russian news agencies reported. The State Department could soon designate Mr. Gershkovich a wrongfully detained person, a formal label based on a legal determination that would give the U.S. government more latitude in trying different ways to get him released. The State Department has applied that label to Paul Whelan, a former U.S. Marine imprisoned in Russia on an espionage conviction. It did the same with Brittany Griner, an American basketball star who was detained by Russia on drug charges days before President Vladimir V. Putin ordered a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Russia released Ms. Griner in December after the United States agreed to free Viktor Bout, a convicted Russian arms dealer. In a statement on Monday, Alexei Melnikov, the secretary of Moscow's Public Oversight Commission, a group of civil society members who monitor human rights in pretrial detention centers, said that he had visited Mr. Gershkovich at Lefertovo prison. The prison was used by the KGB as a place to keep Soviet dissidents. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, it has been used by the agency's successor to isolate opponents of the Kremlin. Confusion about a possible shift in the Ukrainian government's stance on recovering Crimea from Russian occupation prompted a flurry of public clarifications on Thursday from officials in President Volodymyr Zelensky's administration, who reiterated their vow to liberate all of Ukraine's territory. The seemingly mixed messaging began after a top Zelensky adviser was quoted on Wednesday as saying that if Ukrainian forces successfully advanced to the Crimean border, Kyiv would be willing to have talks with Moscow about the territory, which Russia illegally annexed in 2014. The notion that Ukraine could be open to peace talks before Russian forces withdrew from all of its territory was a marked departure from its previously declared positions. The Financial Times reported that the adviser, Andriy Sibiha, said in reference to Ukraine's expected coming offensive, if we will succeed in achieving our strategic goals on the battlefield and when we will be on the administrative border with Crimea, we are ready to open a diplomatic page to discuss this issue. The report said that Mr. Sibiha, a deputy head of the Ukrainian presidential office, also noted, it doesn't mean that we exclude the way of liberation of Crimea by our army. 
Other senior officials quickly clarified that allowing Crimea to remain in Russian hands was not on the table, including the head of the presidential office, Andriy Yermak, who stated, on Twitter, that Ukraine's agenda remained the return of all territories of Ukraine, as outlined in Mr. Zelensky's 10-point peace plan. Mikhail Podolyak, another top advisor, contradicted Mr. Sibiya's comments more directly, saying that the basis for any negotiations had to be a complete withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine's borders as they were internationally recognized after the fall of the Soviet Union. That includes Crimea, he said, on Twitter, adding that there was no question of any territorial concessions or bargaining of our sovereign rights. Mr. Sibihad did not return a request for comment by the New York Times, but another deputy head of Mr. Zelensky's office told Politico that the president's position on the matter had not changed. It was not apparent whether Mr. Sibihad's statement inadvertently went beyond Mr. Zelensky's publicly stated position or whether it was intended to ease some of the pressure on his administration to seek a diplomatic resolution. On Thursday, the leaders of France and China made a joint call for peace talks even as a White House spokesman stressed that Ukraine alone could dictate the terms of any negotiations. Only President Zelensky can determine if and when he's ready to negotiate, and in what context, and over what, said the spokesman, John F. Kirby. Brussels, NATO countries are divided over what kind of political reassurances they might give Ukraine at the next NATO summit meeting, in mid-July, with the United States, Germany and France resisting pressure from Central and Eastern European allies to provide any detailed roadmap toward membership, Western officials said following a meeting of NATO foreign ministers this week. On some level, they said, the debate is notional, given that Ukraine is at war and a major part of its territory is occupied by Russian invaders. And much will depend on how successful Ukraine is in its long-heralded counteroffensive, expected later this spring or early summer. The debate was one focus of the meeting of NATO foreign ministers in Brussels this week, as it was for the previous such meeting, held in Bucharest last November, when the United States also resisted making any political promises to Ukraine about accelerated membership. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has said that he would only come to the midsummer NATO summit meeting in Vilnius if he is given some concrete path or enhanced steps toward NATO membership. Kiev applied to join the alliance in September, but NATO officials understood the application to be a question for a more peaceful future. Ukraine would also like some concrete assurances about security guarantees NATO could offer it once peace is established. The kind of assurances and longer-term partnership NATO might have with Ukraine, short of full membership, is another divisive issue. NATO members will continue to discuss what they are collectively prepared to offer to Ukraine in Vilnius, but it will not be easy to find a compromise that is more than symbolic and that will satisfy Kiev. We've got several weeks of hard negotiations ahead to close those gaps and craft a political outcome," said one Western official. But some of Ukraine's neighbors have been pushing for a path to membership, including Poland, the linchpin of NATO's eastern flank. While on a state visit to Warsaw on Wednesday, Mr. Zelensky won strong backing for a rapid entry into NATO from President Andrzej Duda. Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken, asked on Wednesday about whether some proposal about membership might come at the meeting in Vilnius, said that it was more important to concentrate on the very practical steps to get Ukraine's military trained and equipped for the counteroffensive. 
Our focus right now is relentlessly on doing what needs to be done to help Ukraine defend itself against the Russian aggression and indeed to put it in a position to retake more of the territory that's been seized from it by Russia, he said. That's our intense focus. Mr. Blinken added that NATO was also looking at what we can do, over a longer period of time, to build up Ukraine's capacity to deter aggression, to defend against aggression, and, if necessary, again in the future to defeat aggression. And a big part of that is bringing Ukraine up to NATO standards and to NATO interoperability. And I suspect that you'll see that focus continue at the Vilnius summit. In 2008, NATO leaders promised both Ukraine and Georgia eventual membership, but without setting a date. Russia went to war against Georgia that year, and Russian troops remain in parts of Georgia, as they do in large sections of eastern Ukraine and Crimea, which Russia illegally annexed in 2014. Of course, NATO's door remains open, Mr. Blinken said. Russian prosecutors have asked that a prominent opposition politician, Vladimir Karamurza, be sentenced to 25 years in prison, the latest sign that the Kremlin seeks to crush any public criticism of its invasion of Ukraine. A lawyer for Mr. Karamurza, Maria Eismont, said that the prosecution had unexpectedly made the request during a closed court hearing on Thursday. Her comments were made in a video recorded outside the court that reporters posted on the Telegram messaging app on Thursday. Mr. Karamurza, 41, a long-standing critic of the Kremlin who survived what he characterized several years ago as two government attempts to poison him, was detained in April 2022. His lawyers have repeatedly raised questions about his health since. He has more than 37 pounds while in prison, Ms. Eismont said. The initial charges against him focused on disobeying the police, but prosecutors piled on additional accusations that bring the maximum penalty he faces to the 25 years requested by prosecutors. The charges include treason and spreading false information about the Russian military, an accusation leveled against those who use language at odds with the Kremlin's line on its war in Ukraine.